Our Bible reading tonight is taken from Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to commence reading at the verse 16 to the end of the chapter. And remember reading about that incident in Daniel's life where he's cast into the den of lions. So let's hear the word of God tonight. If you have your own copy of the Bible, follow with me as you hear the word of God read. So you not only hear it, but you can see it. You can also see it on the screen. And we trust and pray the Lord will use his word for his glory tonight. Let's give attention to the reading of the scriptures. Daniel 6, verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God have sent his angel and have shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you, and make a decree, that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed." And his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and the earth, and hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now this evening, 
as we continue our series of expository sermons in the book of Daniel, I would like us to turn once again to Daniel 6. My text tonight is found in Daniel chapter 6, verses 20, right through to verse 22. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and have shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. And we're thinking tonight of the theme, Daniel and the lion's den experience. Daniel's deliverance from the lion's den is one of the most popular and well-known Bible stories. Even the little children have heard this story from their mother's knee and at Sunday school. The young people have heard it and discussed it in the Bible class. And while it is true there are many wonderful, outstanding events in the life of Daniel the prophet, as recorded in the book of Daniel, this is definitely one of the most well-known ones, and I would hasten to add the best-loved story. Now remember, this event took place after Darius the Mede took over the Babylonian Empire. On that night, the grandson to the great Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, was slain. Darius the Mede took the kingdom. He was aged 62, and the kingdom of the Medes and Persians began. Daniel 6 records Daniel's rise to power and prominence in this new kingdom. Now, I want you to understand Daniel's an old man. He's about 85. He's maybe 88. Here's Darius. He appoints 120 princes to help him rule over his new kingdom. And overseeing these 120 princes, he appoints three presidents. And if you look at Daniel 6 and 2, we read the words, And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. It says in verse 3, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So here's Daniel 6 and 3 gives us a fuller explanation as to why Daniel was the first of these three presidents, why he was preferred before any of the rest. He had an excellent spirit, and King Darius had a mind to set him over the whole realm. So I want you to think of Daniel tonight as an old man living and working and worshiping his God in an godless pagan environment. Because the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, like the kingdom of Babylon before it, was a godless kingdom. 
It, it was given over to idolatry, to iniquity, to immorality. The religion of the Medes and Persians, of course, uh, affected every aspect of life in that day and generation. What they believed affected their lifestyle and how they behaved. And uh, many of them, of course, were non-religious. And even their non-religious views affected the people's lifestyle and behavior. Daniel's promotion to high office was to pose a very big threat to uh, the other princes and the other presidents, and ultimately, of course, a big threat to Daniel's life. And if you read Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 9 carefully, and follow the sequence of events which gave rise then to a conspiracy against Daniel as God's man in the Medes and Persian Empire. Um, a law was hastily arranged. It was introduced to Darius the Mede. It, it forbade praying to any other god but to King Darius for 30 days. And this law, of course, I believe was designed to make Daniel a lawbreaker. It was to make Daniel out a criminal in the eyes of men. Darius, of course, was very concerned about corruption in his newly formed empire. He, he was well aware that the princes could easily steal from him, and he wanted accountability. So that was why he appointed these three presidents. And, of course, Daniel the Jew, as we read in verse 2, was the first of these three presidents. And that promotion made him public enemy number one. These princes and other presidents were jealous of Daniel. They not only were jealous of him, but they actually hated him. They couldn't find any fault in Daniel's life. He was faultless and blameless, even in political office. They couldn't find nothing to bring a charge against Daniel. He was living faithfully and flawlessly in his uh, life and work before Darius the Mede. So here's Daniel's enemies, and they're helping to promote a, a new law, albeit a temporary law, and it's a law that has to do with praying to any other god than to Darius the Mede. And the threat or the penalty of breaking this law was that if any man did this, that he or she would be cast into the den of lions. Darius was urged to establish the writing and to seal it with the seal of the law of the Medes and Persians. Darius the Mede gave royal consent. This law of the Medes and Persians could not be changed. Now the chief motivation was to get Daniel, I believe, to break the law. Daniel was a good, upstanding, law-abiding citizen up to this point. But on this occasion, once this law was passed, and the moment that Daniel knew, that law came into conflict with Daniel's religious convictions and religious belief. And he had to make a choice. He had to decide whether he was going to obey God or obey the law of man. And of course, we know that Daniel decided to obey God. It meant they had to break the law of the land. 
And we read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and remember we read about this and preached last week in the key to Daniel's prayer life. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. The enemies were watching for him. They reported him to the king. He was summoned to the palace. He was asked, is it true? And of course, as a result of his confession, then he was cast into the den of lions. Then the king commanded, verse 16, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. It's interesting that King Darius said to him before he went into the den of lions, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. That night, King Darius became very concerned and troubled. He was fasting. No, no music was brought into his bedchamber. Sleep was taken from him. He, he rose early in the morning. He, he hastened out to the den where the den of lions was. And he uh, called out, and this is what he said, verse 20, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God in thy service continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And I'm sure he was surprised and stunned, but as well as delighted to hear these words, O king, live forever. It was the voice of Daniel. And then Daniel added, My God have sent his angel and have shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. After Daniel was brought out of the den of lions in the order of Darius the Mede, we read then that Darius commanded and brought those men that had accused Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Not only them, but their children and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then Darius passed a new decree. And you'll find that referenced in Daniel chapter 6, verse 26 and verse 27. And the story ends with Daniel prospering in the reign of Darius, right into the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now what can we learn from Daniel and the lion's den experience? May this sermon become known as the lion's sermon. It's a great story. But what lessons can we learn? I want you to think of four things tonight. Let's think, first of all, of the period of Daniel's service. Note the words in verse 20. Whom thou servest continually. Also link up the words, thy God whom thou servest continually, in verse 16. Now I want you to think of Daniel. The word Daniel, or the name Daniel, means God is my judge. When Daniel came to Babylon, he was a young man. Remember, he was a teenager, probably about 15, maybe 18 years of age. And what do we read there in Daniel chapter 1? We read this in the verse 8. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So you've got to think of Daniel proposing in his heart when he just arrived in Babylon that he's going to be true and faithful and he's going to live to serve the Lord his God. 
We're told in chapter 1, verse 21, And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus the Persian. So the kingdom of the Medes and Persians started with Darius the Mede, and during his reign, Daniel was serving him. Now, I want you to understand that at this point, Daniel was an old man. He's no longer a teenager. He's now an old man. Commentators suggest about 85 or 88. So he's not an old man, or he's not a young man, he's an old man. And yet, this old man, from the days that he was a teenager, when he trusted and believed in his God, right up till he was an old man, still believing and trusting in his God, this old man lived a consistent godly life in the service of his God. I want you to think particularly of the words as I have mentioned them to you. Thy God whom thou servest continually. And then in verse 20, is thy God whom thou servest continually. People have asked, where's Daniel's three friends now? They're possibly dead, no longer alive. But even though they've gone home to their eternal reward, here's Daniel still serving the Lord in his old age. He's bringing forth fruit in his old age. And that's important. Did you know that the Bible says in Psalm 92 verse 14, speaking of the righteous, they shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Doesn't the Bible speak in Luke 2.36 of Anna, a prophetess, who was of a great old age? Think of Simeon in the temple when the Lord Jesus was born and brought into it. He was an old man, just and devout. And then he said, now, Lord, let us thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You see, he was an old man. So here's an old woman as well, a prophetess, and still serving the Lord. Do you know that there's a story told of George Mueller of Bristol? Remember his orphanages there? Whenever he was 70, he gave up the uh, leadership of the orphanage. He handed it over, and he traveled then for the next 20 years of his life, right up to his 90, right around the world. And he was gathering up funds for his orphanage and preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God and telling and exhorting men to have faith in God. Do you know you're never too old to serve the Lord? You're certainly not too young to serve the Lord. And it's a great thing to be able to have someone testify that thou hast serviced the Lord continually. Daniel was faithful and fruitful in the service of the master. And you're never too old to be faithful and fruitful in the service of the master. Darius the Mede spoke about thy God, thy God whom thou service continually. And what did Daniel report to him? What was Daniel's testimony? Verse 22, my God. Oh, can you speak about my God tonight? Are you in a personal relationship with the God of heaven? Remember, you can't serve him until you're saved. 
And I would ask of you young people, uh, what are you doing for God if you've got a, a testimony to the saving and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? If there was a time in your life when you knelt down and received him as Lord and Savior, when you cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, and you testify that you've got the love of God in your heart and you're born again of the Spirit, I want to challenge you tonight. Uh, what are you doing for the Lord? Uh, what type of service are you rendering to him? Have you got an eye to the future that you're going to live a life of a long and fruitful service unto the master? The period of Daniel's service. But I want you to think secondly of the purity of Daniel's separation. Because we read here in the scriptures, O Daniel, servant of the living God. And then Daniel said to the king, for as much as before him, that's before the living God, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. You see, I want you to ask this question. Why was Daniel persecuted by his uh, princes and by the other presidents? Here's the answer. Very simple, but very sublime. Daniel was a godly man. Daniel was marked and characterized by a spirit of godliness and a spirit of holiness. And here's Darius the Mede, and what does he call him? Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. You see, Daniel's life was not only one where he was Daniel the prophet bringing a prophecy. Uh, Daniel was not only one who prospered and was promoted into high political office. Daniel was not only a man who proposed in his heart not to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. But Daniel was a man of outstanding purity. The purity of Daniel's separation. Daniel was known for his holiness, even in high political office. Could I turn you tonight to Ezekiel 14, verse 14? Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon before Ezekiel the prophet. And as Ezekiel the prophet prophesied, he said this, Ezekiel 14 and 14. Those, these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. That's in Jerusalem. They should deliver but their own souls for their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Now here's Ezekiel writing about the fall of Jerusalem. And Daniel remembers in Babylon. And God is saying to Ezekiel, whom I'm sure is praying for mercy and for the sparing of Jerusalem, even of Noah, a preacher of righteousness, even of Job, that man who hated evil, or even of Daniel, were to stand before me in Jerusalem and pray for mercy and ask for its deliverance, they would not be able to deliver it. They, they could not stop Jerusalem being destroyed and the temple being ransacked. You see, Daniel is singled out. The other two men are now dead when Ezekiel made this prophecy. 
But Daniel's still alive. Daniel's in Babylon. Daniel's one of God's mighty men. Daniel's not only a man greatly beloved by God, but he's singled out for his holy life of character. You see, Daniel had a nose and a name for holiness. Daniel was a holy man of God. And Daniel's godly holy lifestyle posed a big threat to the other princes and the other presidents. Remember I told you he lived and worked in a pagan environment. The Medes and Persian Empire was completely pagan. And into this system, God had his man. And his man was there primarily to represent God first and foremost. And these men who served with Daniel, they could find no fault with him. Look with me at Daniel chapter 6 verse 5 again. Think of these words. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. You see, these men found nothing in Daniel's personal life. Nothing in Daniel's private life. Nothing in his political life. Nothing in his religious life. They watched and scrutinized his behavior and they found nothing. There was innocency in the heart and life of Daniel. Daniel had a flawless testimony. He was blameless in his secular life and in his secret life. He had an excellent spirit. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He was a man of power, a man of prayer, a man of purity. Remember what they said of Christ, Pontius Pilate, I find no fault in him. We could say the same about Daniel. There was a Christ-likeness about Daniel. There was an air of godliness about him. Daniel was not corrupted by his position. He was not corrupted by his newfound power. He, he, he was not corrupted by this uh, rise to uh, eminence to be the first president over the three. He lived and worked in an idolatrous system. He'd done his job to the glory of God. He didn't corrupt himself. And it was no secret, not even to Darius the Mede, that he was the servant of the living God. That's interesting. He didn't hide the fact that he was a man of God. Everyone knew, including Darius the Mede. Think of these words, thy God whom thou servest continually. O Daniel, servant of the living God. Here's a holder of political office. A man who has got power and prominence. And why is he there? I believe he's there to serve the Lord. He's in the public eye. He's in the public gaze. But there's no flaw. There's no weakness. There's no skeletons in his cupboards. There's no Achilles heel. He's a man of purity and integrity. A man of godliness and holiness. There was no defilement found in the life of Daniel. I'm not saying he was a perfect sinless man. But they could find no fault in Daniel's life or testimony. We should examine our own hearts. How do we compare? How did the world see us? Do they see me as a servant of the living God? Can they talk about thy God to my face? Because they see in thee a reflection of the image of Christ. I want you to think, thirdly, the persecution of Daniel specified. You see, because Daniel lived according to the law of his God, a consistent, 
godly, holy life. And because he maintained that stance for many days, it wasn't hidden, it it wasn't concealed. The text has to teach that like Daniel, every true believer who lives a holy life in any sphere of service is going to expect opposition and persecution. Uh, Daniel's godly character drew the hatred of his princes and president. Daniel's godliness and holiness was a threat to these presidents and to these princes. It didn't just provoke them to jealousy and envy, but they hated Daniel. There was also a hatred here. They, They hated Daniel for his godliness, and it led to his persecution and opposition. His character, his lifestyle showed up what they were not. His godliness showed up that they were godlessness. His holiness showed up that they were actually haters of the living and the true God. They must silence him. They must get rid of him. They they hated him for his likeness to the God that he served. They were haters of God. Now here's a fact tonight. Listen to me carefully. Ungodly men and women do not want godly men and women in positions of power and authority. Why? Because one, they are haters of God. And two, they fear that they would use their position to oppose their wicked ways. If you turn tonight to the prophecy of Jeremiah... And look with me at Jeremiah chapter 29. I want to refer you to just one verse, and that's the verse 7. You've got to think of Daniel and his friends in captivity in Babylon. And you need to read the whole seven verses to get the sense, but I'm just going to read verse 7. They were to build houses and plant gardens and take wives and to get sons and daughters And notice verse 7, And seek the peace of the city whether I have caused you to be carried away captive. So seek the peace of Babylon. And pray unto the Lord for it. So they pray to the Lord for Babylon. Why? For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. And what does that actually mean tonight? Think about it. Seek the peace of Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it. To what purpose? And here's the answer. For in peace thereof shall ye have peace. In other words, that they could lead a quiet, peaceable life. In other words, that they'd be continued to able to worship God. Isn't there a clear parallel tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2? I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. We're to pray tonight for those in our authority. That's why we pray, that's why we pray for our Queen. That's why we pray for the House of Windsor. That's why we pray for the Westminster Parliament. That's why we pray for the Stormont and the Welsh and the Scottish Assembly. And we pray for those in authority 
that we might lead a peaceable and quiet life in all godliness and holiness, so that we are free then and enabled to worship the Lord our God. We live in a day in our United Kingdom, and what is true of the United Kingdom is true of the United States of America. And we're living in a day of what I'm going to call secular humanism. And there's many clever intellectual people telling us that there is no God, that there's no such thing as sin, that men don't have a soul, that they don't need to be saved, or they don't need Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And these men say that they're living independently of God. And, and these men, I want to tell you, have a religion. And the religion is one of humanism. And their humanism has an impact in their behavior and their lifestyle. And this religion of man is the deification of man. It's the worship of self. So, so the living and the true God has been replaced. And another religion has come to the fore. And it's the religion where men worship themselves. Men are lovers of their own selves. And of course, this spills out then into other areas of atheism and hedonism. Here's this call from Jeremiah the prophet to Daniel and his contemporaries in Babylon. When you're in Babylon, pray for it. Not only seek the peace of it, but pray for it. Make Babylon a matter of your prayer. Pray to God to work. Pray for God to move. Pray that you might be free to serve him. And that's true individually, but true collectively. And we need to do the same. We need to pray to God for those in authority over our United Kingdom. And in the United States of America, and we need to pray that the Lord keeps the church free to serve him, not only as individuals, but collectively that the Lord enables us to be as free as possible to live for him and to preach the gospel and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, I believe tonight that Daniel was there to do a work for God. And that's the reason his godly life, that he was cast into the den of lions. You see, we too live in a pagan world. As I've said, full of clever, ungodly, educated, intelligent men. And they have got this notion, they have got this belief, this, this mindset that there is no God. And what does the world need? Well, it needs Christians in positions of power and authority, endued with an excellent spirit, with, with a likeness to Christ, and to be godly and holy in that position, in, in innocency before the Lord, blameless and faultless, and God can use them. Can I say tonight, remember the Lord Jesus said in John 16 and 33, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but good, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You see, you can't live for the Lord a holy, godly life and not face persecution and opposition. You're holy living. And mine will threaten the lifestyle of the ungodly. And therefore we should expect persecution. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said to him there in the verse 10, 
But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions and afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The persecution of Daniel specified because he was a holy man of God. And you think of the strategy of the enemy here. They could find no fault in Daniel. They could not get him to break the law of his God. Uh, that, 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 that's um, what some people imagine they, they, they were up to. I want to tell you that's not the strategy. It wasn't that they could not find him sinning against the law of his God. They knew about his love for truth and righteousness. And, and, and what they did was they created a situation where God's law would be set to the one side and it would clash with man's law. And Daniel would be faced with a situation where he had to choose either to obey the law of his God or obey the law of the land. And you know, we face exactly the same agenda today. We, we face exactly the same strategy. The governments of the United Kingdom, the governments of the United States of America have passed and promoted many wicked laws. These laws were passed and given royal assent and they were designed to create lawbreakers and criminals. See, Daniel had a choice to make. Think about abortion. Remember the midwives in Egypt in Moses' day? They refused to abort the baby boys. They said, no, life is sacred. Um, all men are made in the image of God. You, you add to that not only the evil of abortion, nine million little babies aborted, but you add to that the desecration of the Lord's day, Sunday sports, Sunday trading. Add to that homosexuality. Add to that the transgender issues. Add to that the redefining of marriage. Add to that the hate crimes on, on freedom of speech and oppression where, where preachers will be dragged into court for, for what they preach from the pulpit. It's all been designed by the enemies of the gospel. It's all got an agenda. Whether it's in the education realm of the ecumenical realm. The, the agenda is the same. These laws have been deliberately framed to conflict with the law of God because secular humanism is on the rise and, and men are using their, their non-Christian uh, uh, religion, if I could put it that way, to, to, to change the law, to, to uh, undermine those that live a godly and a holy life. It's all designed to turn law abiders into lawbreakers. Have you got a religious conviction? Daniel had. Suppose there was a law that stopped us praying, a law that stopped us preaching. What would we do? Do you know there'll come a day, if I think of the future, when Antichrist comes, people are told you have to accept him. People are told you have to bow down to him. People are told you have to worship him. People are told you have to obey him. You've got to take his mark. And I can see in Daniel here a, a harbinger, a, a messenger, a forerunner of the great man of sin and son of perdition that's coming. Here's the, the persecution of Daniel that's stated. And you think in closing of the protection of Daniel that's specified. Think of this question. Is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And what did Daniel say? My God has sent his angel and have shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. 
for as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. You see, God sent his angels to shut the mouths of the lions and they didn't eat Daniel. And Daniel was sitting there in the morning when Darius the Mede came. Did you know there's a story told about a London mayor, a Lord Mayor, I think his name was Sir John Deere, and um, he was away in Asia with a, a party of people, and uh, they were camping out somewhere, and there was a number of lions came, and they thought they were going to be out alive, and everybody was terrified, and John Deere, he got down on his knees and he prayed, and whenever he had finished praying, the lions were gone. And on the 16th of October every year in St. Catharines and then in Hall Street in London, there a, was an annual service for many, many years. And it was called the Lion's Service. And, and a sermon was preached. Maybe you're facing lions right now. Whenever Samson faced a lion, Daniel faced a lion. Um, think of the soldier, one of David's mighty men. David himself faced a lion. Here's Christ coming into the lion's den, and what did he do? He shut the lion's mouths. He has power to control the animals. Think of the animals that he used, Balaam's ass, the raven to feed, Elijah at the brook Cherith, the whale to swallow Jonah, uh, the, the fish with the silver coin to pay the tax for Peter, the dove in Noah's day, the lions here in Daniel's day. You see, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is over all. And there's going to be coming a day, of course, when, when, when Christ will come in power and glory and restore all things to himself. As I finish tonight, maybe there's a sense that you feel that you're in a lion's den. Maybe you're under attack. Maybe there's literal lions or, or, or uh, metaphorical lions out to destroy you. You, you feel that there's men has arisen with lion-like intent to destroy your testimony and to destroy your ministry. Well, you know, God can silence them too. God can shut their mouths. The Lord knows how to deliver the righteous. Maybe you're thinking tonight, well, why am I in these circumstances and in this situation? I believe these situations and circumstances have been brought about by the uh, power of God providentially and they're to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And we can speak tonight about the salvation and deliverance of Daniel. Daniel was living to the glory of God. And here's the protection of Daniel that's specified. Oh, that you could see tonight the period of Daniel's service. It was long. Are you living to serve the Lord? Think of the purity of Daniel's separation. Are you living a godly and holy life? Could I ask you tonight to consider the persecution of Daniel stated? And I want you to think of the protection of Daniel specified. May the Lord bless his word tonight. Our time is gone and we pray the Lord will take these few words and use them for his glory.